all to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's a fam- familiar verse to many of you who have been, uh, who've called Calvary Chapel your home. It's one that many of us have tattooed on our eyelids, and we know it well. We l- love this verse. But it's going to be our launch pad this morning. And I also want to encourage you, for those of you who are note takers, you might want to break out your pens and your notepad. We will be covering things at a pretty brisk pace this morning. Um, this is, if I had to give a, a title to this message, it would be a, a crash course on community, uh, or better known as koinonia. We're going to pray here for, uh, for our service and for Pastor Tim, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we're just thankful for uh, the, the trip you provided there to Tim, Sarah, and the team who are there in Israel right now. We pray your, your hand of, of blessing to be upon them as uh, they are seeing the scripture come alive, as they're uh, just witness to the historicity, the archaeology, the geography, Lord. And as the Bible is coming alive to them, Lord, I pray that you just uh, bring them back just with a fresh filling of your spirit and an enthusiasm that is contagious for your word and for your truth and living in this fallen world. Lord, having given you our, our worship this morning, we're, we, we're not consumers, Lord, we didn't come here to receive, we came to give you our praise, to give you our lives, Lord. I pray that as we give you our attention to your word this morning, that it too would be pleasing to you and that our time this morning would be edifying for us, Lord, as we look at your word and get further established in your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to look at me at that verse, it's going to be a launching pad. We're going to start there, and then we're going to come back to it, and we're going to cover a number of verses. I'm reading from the ESV version, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can follow along. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, uh, you know, what I want to speak to you all about this morning is, is really that, that main section where it said that they devoted themselves to fellowship, uh, community. Um, I, I want to talk to you about basic, good old-fashioned, biblical, uh, and mainly New Testament community. Uh, my goal is not to sell you on community and the top 10 reasons why you should all be in community or how it's going to make you healthy, wealthier, and wiser and give you brighter teeth and six-pack abs. I, I'm not promising you any of that. Um, I'm just telling you, I, I, my job, my goal is to unpack what the scripture says about community, about this word fellowship. And I want to unpack it and then hopefully put a little bit of skin on it for you so we can understand what the Bible means for it for, for today, what it means for us to, to endure, to go in deep with one another, to enjoy this, this privilege, this uh, opportunity, this grace that God gives us in, in community. And, and I think it's important that we start just simply by defining the term uh, community. And uh, unfortunately, in, in our culture, it's used a little bit out of context. We see this word community used and uh, a secular sense and an academic sense. We hear a fellowship, mainly in the legal community. There's 
various fellowships uh, that, that, are, that exist in the medical community and in academia. You hear of various fellowships. But the etymology of that use of the word is only two, maybe 300 years old at the uh, longest. But when you look at the Bible, you, you know, we just read it in Acts chapter 2. This is 2,000 years old. This word, and, and you know, so when I think of uh, the current uses of this word in the secular sense, I'm like, give us our, our, our give us our word back, you know, like, no, no, don't take that word from us. That's our word. Fellowship means something in God's eyes, and you guys are kind of uh, polluting it. So, uh, but let me tell you, simultaneously, unfortunately, Christians often play a little bit loose and fast with this term, fellowship. And, uh, you know, and we, we don't necessarily use it in the right context either. And we don't miss it by an inch, man. Sometimes we miss it by a mile. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I used to go to, I got saved in an old denominational church. And uh, we, we used to have a, an area in the church called the Fellowship Hall, okay? And we all have, every church has got a fellowship hall. We all have a fellowship hall, but this one, this church was founded in the, in the Civil War era, and I think we drank coffee that, that tasted like it was made in the Civil War era, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the cookies there were done in the, the Civil War era, too. Most of the people hanging out in that hall were born in the Civil War. <laughs> look, I'm not trying to insult any of my seasoned saints. God bless you. I'll love you. But it was just, but we went there, and every, everybody just assumed if you're in the fellowship hall that you're having fellowship. But that's not necessarily the case. Fellowship doesn't, just because you're in the fellowship hall, it is not reserved for a room within the church. And some think just because you're in the church. If you show up to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or a Sunday evening or whatever, if you're there, if you're in the church building, then therefore you are having fellowship. And that's not necessarily true because I hear some of the most ungodly things happen in the church when you gather and, and, and then the gossip is taking place. Well, that's not just, we call those prayer requests sometimes. We gather and this is just, well, we just gather and we're having some fellowship. No, you're gossiping. You're talking trash. That is not fellowship. It is from the devil. It is devilish. It is evil. It is wicked. It's not fellowship. And sometimes we gather for, for, for various reasons in, in our homes and in you know, football season just ended, and my team wasn't there, but that's okay. And, uh, but we gather together, and we say, hey, come on over to our house. We're going to watch football and have some fellowship. Well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. You may be having fellowship, but it depends on your version or your variety or the definition on what God calls fellowship. What fellowship is. When we look at, at, at this, and, and if you want to, if you're taking notes, fellowship refers to our common life together, which is God's supernatural provision for the church. It is a great source of power and strength that comes directly from the throne room of God. In Acts chapter 2, it was recorded, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the fellowship. Luke draws our attention to those foretelling characteristics, the apostolic teaching, the mutual fellowship and prayer and communion and meal. And you notice that he also gave great strength, great uh, emph emphasis placed on that word. It says they devoted themselves. That means in, in modern English that they uh, were strong towards. It, it means these first Corinthians, 
Christian church, this first Corinthian church was, not first Corinthian church, first Christian church was committed to community. This was a deep commitment that they had towards one another. It is the Greek word koinonia. We know this word, we're familiar with it. It means to be, uh, it can also be rendered partnership. Uh, sharing communion or fellowship. The word koinonia actually in the ancient world was a industrial mercantile term. It meant to go into partnership with one another. And in that sense, it meant to lay one's life down in the sense that I will go in partnership with you. It meant that I would put my life on the line to be your partner. In the ancient world, you know, they didn't have all these legal agreements where I get to keep my stuff and you get to keep your stuff. It means when we go in together, we go all in, sink or swim. We are deeply invested with one another. I'm willing to put all of my chips on the table with you. And that's what God intends when he talks about koinonia fellowship. We are to go all in with one another. That's the word koinonia. That's the strength of this word. And it's not something we, that we take lightly. When you, when you look at the New Testament, it's full of, of great you know, examples of koinonia. And, and the word study you might be familiar with is the, the study of the one another's in the New Testament. Has anybody ever done a study of the 36 plus one another's in Scripture? If you haven't, I encourage you, just, just get your little Strong's Concordance or, or break out your Blue Letter Bible online and go and, and look up those words, one another. And there's 36 of them, one another's in the Scripture. And, and they, they give instruction to what koinonia is. And in Romans 12.10, it says they devoted themselves to one another. In Galatians 5.13, they served one another in love. In Ephesians 4.32, it says be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.16 says to admonish one another. <clears throat> Hebrews 10.24, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And the, the list goes on and on and on. That's what koinonia love does. It comes together and it, it, it betters one another because you go all in. And, and if we give consideration, just, just know that our God is a God of community. You just open the pages of Genesis. The first chapter tells you that our God is a community-oriented God. He, in the Godhead is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is community within the Godhead. And, and you don't get far in Genesis. And created man, and everything's just going along hunky-dorily and wonderful, and there's creation, and we got the, the firmament, and we've got all the plants and the trees, and we've got man, and it's just going great. Man's naming all the animals, and all of a sudden, God pulls the e-brake. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something's not right here in the garden. Wait a second. Everything is good, good, good. Not good. What's not good? Man was left alone. And I'm going to create woman, God said, so that man would have a, a proper helpmate. Because it's not good that man be alone. We were created for community. Marriage is the first act of community within the human race. God wants us to be in community. There are four very intense pictures of community throughout the entirety of New, the New Testament. Um, there's many uh, lesser or less emphatic, less prominent uh, examples, but the four I want to point out, and I hope to cover 
I've got my eye on the clock back there. I'll try to cover. I have till what? What time does Tim usually wrap up? One? One thirty? <laughs> I, I think I can get done by then. <clears throat> Some of y'all getting nervous. That's great. Um, I won't get invited back, but uh, that's all right. Um, but the first one is, is that we are living stones in God's temple. We are living stones. We are, we are being built up into this living temple. Uh, number two, that we are the family of God, uh, the term that the, the New Testament uses, a household of God. Uh, number three, and probably most prominent, is that we are the body of Christ, uh, that we are the body. That's used very often. And then the fourth one is the idea that we are the vine. We are in this vine. It's God's vine. And uh, we'll... We're definitely not going to cover that one. We'll make that our closing prayer, and Lord willing, we'll be able to do the top three. If not, uh, we'll get through at least the top two. But allow me to just start, and, and we're just going to make our way through these two, three uh, examples. Um, I'm going to cover a number of verses, and I just want you to, you know, if you are note takers, and I hope you are, I encourage you to write these down, and, and uh, some of them will be on, your, on the screen as we go along. But the first set, the first example that the New Testament gives us is that we are living stones. We are living stones. First Peter chapter two, verse four through six says, "As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house." to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In that latter half of that verse, in verse 7, Peter makes reference to the prophet Isaiah who said that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, just before 20, verse 22, Paul said, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Consistency alert. We are to be the stones. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We are being built up in the likeness of Christ. And that's the most notable thing about this whole example, this typology that Paul the apostle gives us, that we are to be built up into the likeness of Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first stone set in construction. Why is it done such? Because at, the, at a masonry foundation, it's important that all other stones be set in reference to the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Not Pastor Tim. Not the elders. Not your home group leader. Not a ministry leader, the deacon. Not the negative Nancy or the Debbie Downer or the Danny Downer in the church. Every church has them. If you can't think of who that is, it's probably you. <laughs> it's not them. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is our reference point. We need him. The idea is being communicated here is that we are to be built up in Christ-likeness. We all act up. Every one of us acts up. Every one of us needs Jesus to be our cornerstone. We're all driving down the gospel road together. 
And we all veer off one way or the other. We veer off into legalism. We hop the ditch, and next thing you know, we're trucking through the field into legalism. And we think that we are just too good for everyone. And all of a sudden, we, we, <laughs> we figure it out. We, we, we've ran everybody roughshod, and we, we jump back over. And then all of a sudden, we hop the next ditch, and we're into liberalism, and we're going crazy. Woohoo! We're enjoying the world. Hey! And then all of a sudden, you know what? We realize, hey, I can't continue at this pace. I'm way off track. And we hop the ditch and we come back and we go back and forth. And, we all, and hopefully we get the thing going and we're, we stay down the gospel road. But we all go to extremes at some times. And we all need one another. We all need to look to Christ. And we need to, we need to, to, to rejoice in the fact that God provides that. And, and the gospel-centered community plugs us into other people. It plugs us into a source of accountability to keep us in danger, keep us out of danger, pardon me, help us point out those signs like, hey, you're about to go off road. That's a a no uh, passing zone. Bridge out ahead. The body of Christ, these, these living stones keep us focused on Christ. They provide accountability so that we don't go into vocational dangers, emotional danger, financial danger. You know, recently we had a a young lady just kind of approach my wife and I, and uh, she just kind of pulled us aside and said, you know what, I I just feel like I need to confess something. And, and, you know, I know you're you're one of the pastors here, and I just feel like the Lord is telling me that I need to to tell you all this. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. You can talk to us. And uh, she said, you know what, I, I just went through a real spell of depression and uh, anxiety and frustration. And I'll be honest with you, I was mad at the church because I felt like the church was supposed to be there and do, do all of these things. And I, I had all of these wild expectations about the church. And uh, you know what, and, and, the, and the church just wasn't meeting my needs. And she said, but the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord brought me to the conviction that everybody here is just like me. And we all have our own personal struggles. And we're all going through these things together. And we all need the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of our life. We're all broken. And and I, I repented of these false expectations that I had. And I feel like I just needed to confess that to you. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. That's true. Every one of us. And I think how many of us have this crazy, wild expectation that the church is supposed to fulfill every one of our needs and ministry and life and everything. And sometimes we have these same expectations in our marriage and, and our friendships. When the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and we're supposed to set ourselves according to, to that. And, and what's interesting, you know, is that, you know, why, why do we get disconnected from this? Why do we, we allow ourselves to get disconnected from the body so often? And why is it our culture struggles so much with these deep connections and being connected to the body? It's interesting that we, are, we have more ability and opportunities to be connected than ever before in our culture. Yes, we, ha- yet we have less connections, true connections, than ever before. We have more technology but less connections. We have more f- friends on Facebook but we have fewer friendships. We have more followers, but we have fewer conversations. We have more tweets, but we're less transparent. And we have 
more abilities to express and emote, but we're still empty. That's our culture. In fact, there was a study released last May uh, by the uh, Cigna Health Group, and the title of the, 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 the research said, Americans are, more, are lonelier than ever. And then it had the subtitle, but Gen Z may be the loneliest. Uh, Douglas uh, Nemesek, MD, the chief medical officer of behavioral health at Cigna, said this. He said, what this comes down to is this. We as a society are experiencing a lack of connection. Gen Z had a 48.3% admission rate to feeling a great sense of loneliness. That is significantly higher than any generation previous to that. And what's the cause? And the study said mobility, commuter lifestyles, fast-paced lifestyles, and social media provide overstimulation. This is the reason why so many of them do not experiencing, experience long, satisfying, long-lasting uh, relationships. It says because they build all of their friendships on shallow commonalities that fluctuate with those commonalities. You know what I'm saying? You know, you have an affinity with somebody and you're friends for a little while because of that affinity. Yeah, we all like this or we all do this. But as soon as that commonality changes or somebody changes or somebody moves or whatever, that friendship is broken. And then all of a sudden the commonality of friendships are broken. It's crazy. It's just crazy. We don't, we don't have these long-lasting, deep, enduring, I'm all in, I'm going with you, I'm partnering with you type of friendships. And the crazy thing is we get to share some of the most crazy things with each other nowadays that somehow link us together. You know what I mean? We just get to, you can go to Buffalo Wild Wings and snap a picture of your appetizer and share it with the world. <laughs> and, and, and you somehow think that you're connected with the world because you've done that, you know? And here's the problem with that. You go down to B-dubs and, and you sit there and start sulking because, well, why didn't I, I only got 200 hearts and 300 thumbs up on my, well, you know, how come? I, I got 300 on my, I had a better appetizer than I had last week. I should have got more likes. And we get all depressed and frustrated. It makes no sense. We need connections. We are being built up into a holy temple. And what's interesting about that is when you look at, at, at the God's temple, there's some, very, some things implied there. When you look at the ancient world and how they built buildings, those, those buildings were built just so. They didn't have a lot of the things that you and I have. They said in the, of the temple, when they built it, you couldn't fit a, a knife between the, the, the bricks there, the, the stones, because everything was just fit just so. My wife and I built a, uh, I just bought a fixer-upper a couple years ago, about 18 months ago when I uh, came on staff at Calvary Chapel of Fredericksburg. And uh, let me tell you, that's been an adventure. <laughs> Anybody here bought a fixer-upper before? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that has been an exercise in patience. Pray for my wife. My goodness. And the, the project's still going. But there's been a lot of lessons that we've learned. Uh, lesson number one, I'll share this with you. You can't build it with one part. It takes thousands of parts and pieces. Everything is, that's, that's, that goes without saying, right? Well, that's easy. No dumb, Matt. Well, uh, you know what? God's temple is the same way. 
We are all unique and different. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But every part needs to be fit together just so. I learned this the hard way. If you don't put that little orange, you know, solvent stuff that cleans those pipes and that perfect, that little purple smelly, uh, you know, uh, glue on that pipe, if you don't do all that, guess what? It's going to leak. It just happens that way. It's amazing. (laughs) I don't know, honey. I don't know how that happened. But every part has to be put together just so. It has to come together. In God's house, we have to be fit together just so. And here's another thing I learned. A part that is not used is absolutely useless unless it is connected to the house. It is useless unless it is connected to the house. I got a whole pile of useless parts in my basement right now. Uh, the project didn't start. It, 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 it's not done, as I said, but I got a, a room that has not been finished. I got a pile of flooring and two-by-fours and some plumbing parts for as this project continues. They're going to get there. They're going to get to their final destination. But let me tell you something. They're absolutely useless to me and to anybody, to my home's value, unless they are connected. And I say this with love, and I mean this with tenderness. You are useless to the body of Christ unless you are connected. You have to be connected to the body of Christ. You know, there are a lot of people who come into churches each and every week and, and, and you know whether they're, they're a part of your church or if they're just church attenders. Because they'll say things to, to us like, hey, I, I, I love your, your services. Or I love the way that your church does this, that, or the other thing. Or they'll come in and say, you know what? What, what I did at my old church, and one thing I think you should do here at this church is, and you know they're not connected to your church. They don't consider that their church home. They're just kind of, there. They're church attenders. They're not church members, as it were. You know, the thing is, is, you can become a Christian and commit your life to Christ, but you also make your commitment to being a part of the, the living temple, to the body, to the temple of God, to the family, to a vine. A lot of people like to date the body of Christ. A lot of people like to flirt with the body of Christ. They like to go to this one and then go to that one, and they hop like a little rabbit, and they go over here and they go over there. They do a lot of flirting, but they don't put a ring on it. And they need to make a commitment to be a part of the body of Christ. We are a living stone in God's temple. And I hear people say this a lot, and with way too much frequency. I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church. I love Jesus, but I just don't need the church. How wrong you are. How you have way overestimated your strength and your ability to live in this world by yourself. And how you've underestimated the grace and the strength that God gives us by connecting us to the body of Christ. How you've overvalued your opinion of yourself. God's call is for us to have strength and stability. In fact, Paul said to, uh, to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said, so that if I'm delayed, that you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God, 
This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of truth. What are pillars for? Holding things up. What are foundations for? To make us secure. This is the household of faith to give us strength and stability to hold us up. It is a common grace that God gives us so that we are strong and that we are stable. It is something that we need. You cannot grow strong spiritually or into maturity without the body of Christ, without being a part of this living temple. Then he goes on to say that we are members of a family. I'm doing okay with time. We are members of a family. This is the second New Testament analogy that that God gives us. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, So then, we have opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. He says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The big idea here is that being you know, communicated in these verses is that we are part of a family. We're part of a family, and God is our father. We've got, you have siblings around you, children of God, sons and daughters, all of us. And you cannot be connected to God's family at your school, at your business, at your hobby. A Christian without a family is an orphan. Say that again, and I say it with love, and I mean this. A Christian without a family is an orphan. You have to be connected to the family. When you were born, you were born into the human race. You were not a part of a family until someone took you home. And you, when you were born again, you were, you were born, yes, in, into Christ, but you were also made a part of God's family. And I tell you what, in those early days of becoming a believer, there's a lot of things we need. Yes, we need the Word of God. We need this truth. And it's likely the Word that brought you to faith and many prayers from many people. So we need the Word and prayer. But I can tell you one thing, that one of the things we need the most in those early days of our walk with Christ is the family of God surrounding us, upholding us, pointing us in the right direction, providing a way out of those patterns that we were once in, the, the darkness that we were once walking in. And no, 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 because we, we feel lonely. We've, we've left that other family, the, the world that we came a part of, and now we need somebody to help us walk and find Christ and find our new normal. You need the body of Christ. Look around for a minute. Just make, make some awkward eye contact with some folks around you. Look, take a look at the room. Look at the sound booth. Wave to the sound booth. Hi, guys. Thank you for what you're doing back there, by the way. God bless you. You're the hidden heroes of every service. But look around this room. Got these fancy TVs, a giant cross. But let me ask you the question. Of everything that you look at in this room, what's going to make its way into eternity with you? 
What, what, what will be in eternity around the throne with you? Not those cushy chairs. It's the souls of the people that you're sitting beside. It's the family of God. That's who will be with you in eternity. That's who you'll be worshiping with. That's who you'll be serving with in eternity. Who will be praising the Lamb. Look, no more, no more 95, no more computers, no more Macs, no more Microsoft, no more Disney, no more Walmart, no more traffic. Praise the Lamb. We just look forward to worshiping with one another in the family of faith. This building will go on because it's not the church. The church is not an event you attend. It's not a building you go to. It's a family that you're a part of. It, it, what we see in the, in the, uh, here in this text and the various texts that we see before us in the New Testament is, is a, a deep abiding grace that we get to show one another. Family doesn't dissolve just because you have disagreements. The New Testament spends so much time telling us how we're to get together and, and get along and be reconciled to one another as a family. We're blood-bought. That means something. We don't just walk out on each other. I, I'll be honest with you. I just don't get one-and-done Christians. I just don't understand one-and-doneers. You've known each other for 5, 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden you have a little disagreement, got a little, had a little tiff. They said something, and your little, your little feelings got hurt. Your little toesy, little piggies got stepped on. And what happens? I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm moving on. How dare they? How dare you? I don't, there's no room for that. I do not understand one-and-done Christians. There's no room for that kind of disagreement in the body of Christ. Our Lord shatters our pride. He calls us to reconciliation with one another. He calls us to humility. There's not a single humble person in this room. We are all prideful people in search of humility. And he calls us to humble ourselves. God wants to drive out the consumerism that exists in all of our hearts. Consumerism is the antithesis of community. This attitude that says, I need to be served. My needs need to be met. We as Christians need to put away the grocery cart and pick up a broom. We're here to, to not receive. We're here to give. We're not here to, be, to make sure that every person here is meeting my physical, emotional, spiritual needs. I'm to give of myself, not of my vast resources, but of this, these vast resources of faith that I own by faith. I may not have the emotional stability, but by faith, I will own it. I've been wounded. Yes, God knows. God knows you've been hurt, but by faith you have joy. But they, but they said this, he knows. But by faith I am healed, by grace, by his stripes. He was, he's been through what you've been through. And it's the same spirit of God that we are reconciled and healed and able to get along with each other that we're able to go over racial divides, background divides, whatever political divide. We're part of a family. 
People often ask, well, what, what is it I'm supposed to do then? How, how do I, okay, if I'm not supposed to be a consumer, I'm supposed to serve the church, what, what do I do? Look, the number one thing I can tell you to do, love. Love the family. Take care of the family. Just love it. Love, 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 love the family. Because if you will love this family, God will show you what to do. If you would just love the body of Christ, God will tell you what to do next. Just, you'll be so in love, enamored with this body. You'll find a way to serve her. You'll find a way to nurture her. God will give you a heart to, to oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need to, 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 to work with the young ones, the little ones. Or, or, or those up-and-comers. I've never done it before, but you know what? By God's grace, I'm going to step forward and see what the Lord will do. Just love the body of Christ. If you'll love it and make the church one of your biggest priorities, you will see God meeting you. When you fell in love with your spouse, did you have to take a spiritual gift inventory to figure out how you're going to bless your wife or your husband? No. Some of them, I just don't know what to do. I'm going to take a spiritual gift. I'm not against spiritual gift inventories, okay? Y'all have done them. I've done them. We're okay. I'm okay, okay? I'm not. Man, that is just tromping all over the place today. But listen, when I fell in love with my wife, I'm telling you, I didn't have to, I didn't need to read a book. I brought her flowers. I, I, where did you, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go, honey? We had that 50-minute, you know, 15-minute argument. No, where do you want to go? No, where, where do you want to go? No, I want to go. No, where do you want to go? I found out what she liked, what, what she liked to smell. I still remember what lotion she liked, what fragrance. She liked the sweet pea from Body, Bath and Body Works. They don't sell it anymore, but that's the one she liked. I took inventory. I knew. You don't have to take an inventory. I don't even read no books. I'm not saying you shouldn't read books. Read books. But love the body of Christ. But don't play games. Don't play games with the church. One of the, uh, our friends came over a couple weeks ago. Actually, it's probably been a couple months ago. But anyhow, so she brought her, her daughter over, and, and they were just, their daughters, our daughters were playing. My daughter's eight, and her daughter's, I think, seven. And uh, they're all doing their thing upstairs. We're all doing our thing downstairs. And all, but all of a sudden, one of the girls, uh, my, our friend's daughter, she kept sneaking downstairs and, and away from all the other girls who were upstairs playing and having a good time and, and that sort of thing. And Like, what are you doing down here? Why are you down here? And, and she'd offer some little excuse, and, and then she'd go back. We'd chase her back upstairs, and she'd come down again. And, and, and no, seriously, why do you keep going, coming down here? And she's, she said this. She said, well, they seem to be having so much fun. I just want to see if they'll miss me. <laughs> Playing these little games. <laughs> and a lot, of, you know what, though? That happens in the body of Christ. We get up, get our little selves all, all upset about one little thing. Somebody sat in your chair this Sunday. <laughs> Somebody took your parking spot, whatever it is, and, oh, yeah, I'll see if they miss me. And we play these little games, and we, we, we do it, and we get our all, all riled up. The number one rule is to love the family.
We're, we're also a body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. That's the third. And I'll make that our final analogy that the New Testament gives us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 13. Now you are the body of Christ, an individual member of it. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they have many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Ephesians 4, 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling. So again, here, the idea, the main idea being conveyed is that we are Christ's body. We are being connected to one another. We are thoroughly, intrinsically woven and dependent upon one another. That is what it means to be connected to the body of Christ. The church has many parts. There is no one like you. Everyone, we're just, look down your row. There is, there is not a person who looks like you. I just took my nephew back to the airport uh, just a few weeks ago, and I'm telling you, I, I just, we're walking through the airport, and I'm just amazed. I mean, there was people from every nation in this airport Tens of thousands of people. It seemed to be the busiest time of years up in Dulles. And you're just, I'm just amazed at what God can do with, with, with a bone structure and a little bit of, of muscle tone and, and, and flesh and just all these amazing portraits that God makes in every single one of us. And he takes this and no two of us are alike. Not even a twin is exactly the same as the other. I'm just amazed at God's creative ingenuity. He's amazing. And, and none of us are alike. We're all unique. We're different. God doesn't make clones in the body of Christ. And it's just, it, it's amazing. God loves diversity. We celebrate it in his church. Not everybody looks like you, smells like you, thinks like you, votes like you. We're all quirky. We're on our own. We're own. We're our own kind of weird. We're our own kind of crazy. And you may be politically different than the person who sits next, sits next to you, and that's okay. I said it. Look, y'all. Some of y'all think that only Democrats and only Republicans. Are, some of you think only Democrats are going to heaven. Only some of you think only Republicans are going to heaven. And I'll be honest with you. Some of you worship Trump. And some of you worship Pelosi, and some worship the, the, the party that you, you're a part of. I'm sorry, but we're a part of the body of Christ. Your political affiliation is a distant 4th, 5th, 10th, 20th in the line of priorities that we have on this planet. Our number one affiliation 
is with the body of Christ. God celebrates diversity in the body of Christ. So many different parts, so many different backgrounds, nations, creeds, colors. We are all blood-bought. Every one of us blood-bought. It's interesting, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the text. Because some people say, well, I'm not needed. Well, you look at the, the, the text. It says that we, we all come. We're all needed. We, you know, we're all, we all belong to one another, the Scripture told us. Well, some people say, well, I, I'm, I'm just not a respectable part. I'm not a prominent part. I'm, I'm just a toenail in the body of Christ. <laughs> Y'all ever lost a toenail? I have. In my younger days, I used to work out. Not so much anymore. But I, one time I dropped a 25-pound dumbbell on my toe. It exploded in my shoe, and, and I, my toenail fell off promptly. You need your toenails. And if you're a toenail in the body of Christ, we need you. We need you there. Again... 1 Corinthians 12 declares that the eye cannot say to the hand, nor can the head say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, the part of the body that seems to be weaker is indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with the greater modesty. Look, not everybody's on the front stage. Some of us are backstage. Some of us are unseen. And that's okay. That's just the way the body works works. But let me tell you something. If you don't show up, you're like a, a, a missing piece of the puzzle. You ever seen a jigsaw puzzle with a missing piece? What's the first thing you notice about that puzzle? It's that bad boy that's missing. Where, where, where's that part? And if you're not here, the body misses you. We need you. You need to be a part of the body. My kids love those jigsaw puzzles, not my cup of tea. But when you do your part, you know, when you don't do your part, I'm hurt. And the body's hurt. We're designed for, for dependence upon one another. And some parts are more prominent. My nose enters a room two hours before I get there. I get that. But you know what? I can live without my nose. You know that? But I have this thing called a liver. And y'all have never seen it before. Praise God. But I cannot live without that. I kind of need it. But it's not seen by anybody. And you know what? You may not feel like you're seen, but you're, if you're, you're missing, we're all hurt. We're all dying. We're designed for dependence. And I cannot fulfill God's purpose for my life by myself. We must be connected. Thy can do nothing on its own. Its value is in connectivity. Don't be decapitated. Don't decapitate yourself. Colossians, Paul said uh, in chapter 2, verse 19, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of the angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up about the reasons by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments grow and grow with the growth that comes from God. It's our simple steadfastness to be connected to Jesus that is, is essential for our spiritual vitality and health. 
We have to be connected to the head. You cannot grow and be healthy and mature in Christ without being connected to the head and being a part of the body of Christ. That's just who we are. And it's not easy, is it? Being a part of the body. If you ain't loving hard, if, you ain't, if loving ain't hard, you ain't doing it right. You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be easy. But being a part of the body means that we, you know what? We have to shatter our pride. We have to get over ourselves. We have to remain connected. And, and, and you look at, you know what? God allows challenging people into our lives for a reason. They're kind of like a, a, a heavenly sandpaper, as it were, right? To, to knock off our rough edges. Anybody have rough edges? I do. I, I need to be, to, to be uh, have some of the, the rough edges knocked off of my life sometimes. And we all do. But we have to look at what's at stake here. Why all this? Why all these analogies? Why, why, why is it such a prominent thing? Because the gospel is at stake. Our witness to this dying world is at stake. The kingdom and God's glory is on the line. This is, God wants us to be worshipers. This is a way of worshiping God that pleases him and that is a light to our world. Have you noticed we live in a contentious world? Have you noticed that? We live in an outrage culture full of social justice warriors and keyboard warriors. It just, everybody's just armed to the T, fighting and, and backbiting. I, I, I hope none of you are, the one, are keyboard warriors who think you're going to win every political and social issue battle on, on the keyboard. I, I know so many of my friends do that. You know, they get online and they're just, you know, fighting and Gruffing, you know, snarling at the world, you know, about everything is uh, on Facebook and everything. It's just funny to watch. I saw a little uh, a video the other day. It was uh, a, a kind of a meme of sorts, and it showed two dogs, and they were they were yapping at each other between a glass door, and they're just going at it, glass, and just snarling and growling and barking and, and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, I guess presumably one of the owners comes up and opens the door. And they went, and they went the other way. <laughs> you know, this, and, and you know, that's, that's, that's this world. That's the media around us. Everybody's yelling and screaming and that sort of thing. And everybody on Facebook and the news is just crazy with each other. And then you walk into the local donut shop. If you walk into, we just built a Publix. I feel like we're highfalutin now. We got a Publix. <laughs> Pinkies up when you walk into public. But, but you walk into Publix, and, and you know what? I see every nation, race, creed, and color. And we have some of the most amazing... I, I converse with everybody. No, no warriors in there. No fights in the aisle. You would think if you were watching the news, it was just blood in the streets. But it's not so. And it's not to be. What's at stake? We're the body of Christ. We are to set the tone for this world. We are to be different, separated, holy, not like this world, set apart. That's who we are, and that's what, what brings glory to God. Not known for, for whatever political banner we write. Hey, look, be involved in politics, please, by all means. If you guys could, could, could end this 
horrible thing called abortion, that would be fantastic. Nothing broke my heart more recently than seeing a, the needle on the, uh, one of the towers lit pink in celebration of uh, infanticide. If we could change that, it would be amazing. We've seen, I, you know, I, I have a heart for India. And uh, through political processes, the, the church uh, led the charge in ending uh, a practice in India where when uh, the husband dies, they would put him in a, a funeral pyre. And when the flames were hot enough, they would throw the wife in after him. And it was the church, it was the church that led the way in changing that practice. It's the church that leads the way in culture and brings about truth and rightness, right thinking. If we can be a part of that, great. But what banner are you flying the highest? Is it the body of Christ? Is it the banner of Christ? Is it the cross? Make that the, 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 the number one, the number one banner that we fly. So we'll end this morning just praying that God would keep us connected to this vine and that through us we would bear much fruit. If you would bow your head with me, we'll pray. Lord, we thank you. It's by you, for you, and through you, Lord, that we live, that we move, that we have our being, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as you are the vine and we are branches, we are called to be in this together. I pray that you would continue to teach us beyond today what it means to go all in with each other, to partner, to put all our chips on the table with one another, Lord. For your kingdom's sake, that the church would continue to be a light on a hill. That it would bring light to a dark world that we live in. That it would be the salt in this world, bringing flavor. Lord, I, I pray for the, for the fruit that is to come. I thank you that this church is here in this area, committed to your word, committed to one another, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread to prayers, Lord. Thank you that this church is here, a beacon of hope. And I pray that you would help them, help us, help me, Lord, continue going long and deep with one another, that we may bear much fruit for your sake, not our sake, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. Bear much fruit from this church in Jesus' good name. Amen. God bless you all.